in 1997. I had the opportunity to go whitewater rafting in Chile. We'd just finished a conference in Bolivia, travelled over the Andes into Chile and with a group that we were, uh, decided why would, why not? Let's have a go at it. Uh, it was, it was quite an experience. I, I went looking for some photos of it. I know they exist. Uh, unfortunately, I think that they're in the depths of a shipping container while my parents are overseas. Uh, so look, I, f- I found some photos to give you a sense of what we're talking about. Uh, it's, it's real white water rafting, fast, rocky, dangerous. Now we had an excellent, excellent time. We had a very competent guide. We had the right equipment. We started with a good safety briefing. And there was a very important lesson that the guide drilled into us as part of that safety briefing. He said time and time and time again, hold fast, hold fast. We're going to go through all sorts of things in this raft. There will be times when the raft will be underwater. There will be times when we will be in the air, travelling over rocks and down jumps. All sorts of things are going to happen. The raft will right itself and pop back up, hold fast. That was a little bit more challenging than you might imagine because every individual in the raft had to hold onto a paddle and you need both hands to hold onto the paddle and so holding fast presented a unique challenge. Now the rafts are designed so that around the bottom there's a footwell and you can lock one of your feet in there. So the guide in telling us to hold fast was reminding us, make sure your foot is locked in. Whatever comes, whatever happens, Stay in the raft and hold fast. Now we had a great day. It was very exciting. Lots of uh, beautiful stretches of water and then lots of thrilling and slightly terrifying moments. And it was all going perfectly well until one of the girls, I don't know what she was doing, but somehow forgot that instruction, wasn't holding fast. We went over a rock and as you hit rocks, it kind of sends the boat up one way and then in coming down, she fell out. At that point in time, we were in a particular stretch that was running quite fast. It was clear where we were, but just ahead of us was the next section of rocks, a little bit like this. We needed the boat to travel around through the clear water, but she was headed for doom. Hold on, whatever comes. Hold fast to that which will keep you safe and secure. God's word for us today is really very simple. It's that same instruction that the guide gave us when we were whitewater rafting. Hold, hold on, hold fast. Now we'll come back to that story in a little while. But because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done for us, God's word to us is hold fast. Our passage today, all of chapters 3 and 4 in Hebrews, starts and ends in the same way. It it bookends the rest of our passage. Have a look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, reflect upon Jesus, understand Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. The one who, if you remember the last couple of weeks, is the word of God to us. That's the apostle, the sent one. Who is the high priest of our confession, the way to God, the word and the way. Consider Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Just as Moses was. 
Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. Come down to verse 6. Christ was faithful as a son over his household and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Now Moses was great, Jesus is even greater. The salvation that he has brought for us, suffering in his death, if you remember last week. Hold on, hold fast. That is our confidence, that is our hope. Or down in chapter 4 and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. It's a very simple sermon tonight. Today, it's a very simple sermon. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the one that we confess in. Now, the rest of our passage, everything that fills in in between those two points, really is one big example, one illustration of this principle of what to do and what not to do. It's an an, an example that comes from one of the stories in the Old Testament. God had done some amazing things for his people. He made promises to Abraham and Abraham's children. He'd rescued them out of Egypt with a mighty hand doing miraculous supernatural works. He brought them through the Red Sea as Egypt was about to recapture them. He brought them across the desert to the very edge of the promised land, to the place where they could have rest, where God would be their God and they would be his people, where they would find a land flowing with milk and honey. The scouts who went out came back carrying on a pole on their shoulders the bunches of grapes, such abundance in this land. And they're standing at the edge of that land and God said, go for it, it's yours I will win it for you. And they said, Ah, well, are you sure about that, God? Because the people are really quite big and the cities look very fortified. And yeah, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe not, God. And so we come to today's passage that reminds us and teaches us and illustrates for us this principle of believing God's word, of holding on to what he says. And I want to draw three lessons out of this story. The first one is this, don't harden your heart. When you hear God speak, in the face of God's voice and God's promises and God's word, don't harden your heart in disbelief. The author here is quoting from Psalm 95. He says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. It took Israel 11 days to get from Egypt through the desert to the edge of the promised land. They disobeyed, they disbelieved, they rebelled and they turned against God and so God sent them back into the desert to wander for 40 years until that generation had perished. They will not enter my rest. 
They heard God's voice. With all that background, all the salvation that God had already won for them, he'd already rescued them from Egypt, the, the, the superpower of the day. And yet they came to Canaan and said, oh no, God couldn't possibly. They disbelieved God's word. They rebelled against him. The first lesson we must draw is that this is all too easily true for us too. See, we hear God's voice. Did you notice there's a fascinating little verse, isn't it? Chapter 3 and verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says, that's present tense, as the Holy Spirit speaks today, and then it quotes words from the Old Testament. God's word, it comes to us in the Scriptures. The Spirit takes what are otherwise written words on a page and speaks it to us afresh today. God speaks. We hear God's voice today. And as we hear God's voice, there's a moment, there's a choice. Will we believe? Will we not? And so the author tells us, watch out for yourself, watch out for your own heart in verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters, that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as evil. And yet, what else could a heart that doesn't believe God be? Sinful, arrogant, evil. Watch out that that is not you. Be careful that when you hear God's word, your heart is not hardened. But also, he tells us, watch out for each other. Verse 13, encourage each other daily while it is still called today that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. What a great picture, isn't it? Encourage each other daily while it is still called today. Today, if you hear his voice, in the moment of hearing God, as your heart is tempted to disbelieve, be there for one another. Encourage each other. Do not be hardened by sin's deception. Unbelief so often begins with a seductive lie. Those those are the, the moments that are the most dangerous for us. When there is something that is clearly wrong and clearly in disagreement with God's word, well, that's easy to spot. But when there's a moment where we think, oh, maybe there's something a little bit better. I mean, it, it's been that way from the beginning. The snake in the Garden of Eden did God really say you mustn't touch any tree in the garden? A little seductive lie that begins to put a little bit of doubt into our minds. Is God really good? Is his word really something that I need? Encourage one another. Take strength from one another. Not, not busybodying, okay? Not go and stick your nose into everyone else's business and make sure that you're all up in whatever it is that they're doing. And No, lovingly bringing them back from being deceived by sin. The consequences are significant. The consequences are dire, verse 14. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The consequences are significant. These were people that God had rescued out of Egypt. They were his people. And yet they paid for their disbelief, for their lack of faith. Friends, we must encourage each other daily. We must rescue one another as if out of a fire. We've got to grab hold of our brothers and sisters if we see them hardened against the word and bring them back to the truth. That moment as we were whitewater rafting is seared in my mind. It would be like this frozen plateau. The bright colours of the safety equipment and the vests, the beautiful surroundings, the water in its blue and white. Just ahead of us, the rocks foaming as the water belted against them. The clear path to the side. The girl who'd fallen in slowly drifting away from the raft. The guide screaming at us, right, right, right. He needed the right side to paddle hard to turn the raft into the safety. (laughs) I'll tell you what a moment it was. As the guide threw down his paddle into the boat, with his feet locked down in that channel, reached out, I reckon it was about his thighs on the boat. So there was three quarters of his body out over the water, grabs onto the vest of the girl who was in there. And I still don't know how he managed so much strength, but he just ripped her out of the water and into the boat as we turned past and made it safely through. Now, hey, look, maybe it's my 14-year-old memory that makes it quite so dramatic. But that's the picture. You see someone starting to drift away. You see someone's heart beginning to harden against the word of God. Oh, to grab them and pull them back in, reminding them of the goodness of God, of the Lord Jesus and his death for us, of the salvation that has been won, of the word of God that we must listen to. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the day of the rebellion. Hold on, hold on. Our first lesson is to not harden our hearts. A second lesson is like it, make every effort to enter God's rest. Make every effort. Come now to chapter chapter 4 and verse 9. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. There is still a rest to come, a rest that we look forward to. The person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Verse 11, let us then make every effort to enter that rest that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Make every effort. A Sabbath rest remains. We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth where this world is finished. The work of this world is done with its hardships and its toil. And we enter into the rest that God holds in wait for us. Make every effort to get there. 
Now, it's a little bit of a strange thing. How? How? What effort are we supposed to do? What is the effort that we make to enter into God's rest? And the answer is, let's not do what Israel did. Let's do the right thing. And that is, believe. Come back to chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you have found to have fallen short. For we have also received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. We who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. It's strange, isn't it? Make every effort by believing. Make every effort by trusting. Make every effort by being of those who have faith. Israel received the good news. They had direct, sure and worked out promises that God had made to them. They had seen God at work. He had already kept his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had kept his promises to Moses and he had rescued them out of Egypt with mighty works and an outstretched arm. They knew God to be good for his word. They had the good news that rest was there and that rest was theirs. We have seen a salvation so much greater than theirs. We have seen the Lord Jesus Christ rescue us not out of the grips of slavery in Egypt but out of sin and Satan and death. We have a salvation that is so much greater with promises that are so much greater because we know they find their fulfilment in the Lord Jesus. Make every effort that you would be among those who have faith, that you would be united with those who have heard the good news in faith. Can I put it this way? Train your heart to love God's word. Train your heart to love God's Son. Train your heart to see your own sin that you must shy away from it, lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart. I've got to say, this is especially true when we come across those bits of God's Word that we instinctively recoil against. Most of us have things in the Bible that we read and we kind of, it sits uncomfortable with us. The reality is that it sits uncomfortable with us, not because of who God is, but because of who we are. You see, if God is good, and, and if you ever doubt that, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you ever doubt that God is good, go back and remember what he did in giving his own son to death on a cross for your sin. Just remember that. God is good. If God is good, then God's word is good. It reveals his character to us, which is shown at the cross in the Lord Jesus. The problem we might have with the word is ours, not God's. And so today, every day, as you hear his voice, make every effort to enter his rest, strive to learn to love and obey and believe the word of God. Our third lesson from this example 
is to allow ourselves to be judged by the word of God. The last verses here in chapter 4 from verse 12 are really very famous verses that we quote very often to show the power of God's word, to talk about how how it brings about change, how it can't be escaped from, how it does it achieves what God wants his word to achieve. Have a look, chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word penetrates, it divides, it shows everything up. Now I think these words are both have, have kind of a negative and a positive. There's a warning as well as an exhortation in there. There's, there's a warning here. Don't play pretend with God. Don't think that you can fool God by putting on a mask. That, that, there's, that there's any sort of pretense that you can get away with. I mean, what a fool you'd have to be to think that you can pull one over God's eyes. No, the very word of God cuts into our hearts. It reveals our sin for the sin that it is and it shows us as the weak, dead, needy people that we are. Nothing is hidden from him and his word exposes it. I think that's why the world hates God's word so much, by the way, because every time they ever interact with it, all it does is expose them. But see, as much as that's a warning, I think it also ought to be an exhortation to us. You see, we need to learn from these verses what our attitude ought to be. Our attitude of coming to God's word humbly, allowing God's word to judge us. It's a good thing that God will reveal our sin, that God would show us holiness. It's a good thing that God's word will judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That the word would teach us the standard of living we ought to aspire to. That the word would show us right and wrong, both for our thoughts and in our lives. That's a good thing. Humbly allow God's word to judge you. That you might repent of your sin and submit yourself to God. Hold on to the confession, we are told. Hold fast to the Lord Jesus, who is the word and the way. Today, do not harden your heart. Make every effort to enter into God's rest. Allow God's word to judge you. Now, I want to finish with two reflections. One of them is not directly from the passage, but is rather a compilation of the experience of our staff team. And then the second one is from our passage. You see, there are, there are a couple of common doctrines or, or words, if you like, from the Bible that people seem to end up disbelieving God about. In, in our experience as the staff, I asked the other staff members to share as well. We, we've all known a handful of people who really have very clearly shown this, who have hardened their heart, who have drifted away who have chosen to reject God's goodness and God's good word. 
and have so rebelled against him. And there were four areas in particular that we could think of that have been most common in these. Now, I want to share these with you, partly for yourself, partly for you to wrestle with, right? These are areas that we need to be proactive in. Go and read the scriptures and think hard about it and submit ourselves to God in. But also then that you might be able to help others if you're noticing them perhaps beginning to harden their hearts. The four, four things we came up with. Firstly, people will doubt God's goodness, particularly in the face of suffering. Oh, maybe a, a family member gets very sick or even dies and the questions begin, why would God allow it? And that begins the drift away. Secondly, is predestination and God's sovereignty and sovereign control in the world wrestling with and grappling with the concept that God is the one who sovereignly dictates the course of his creation. Third is sexuality and beginning to question whether relationships as God describes them really are good or are there other relationships that are also good. In fact, relationships that God condemns that we might decide are good. And the fourth one, uh, it's a little bit trickier to, to define, but it's it's not believing God when he says that we ought to love him above all else. And, and it plays out in people making decisions that aren't God-focused. And so you end up choosing to uh, spend more of your time in your career or your family even, right? It's a slow drift and maybe years or decades later you look back and all of a sudden other things have replaced God. God's goodness, predestination, sexuality and loving God above all else are four areas where we have seen people particularly harden their hearts against God and God's goodness and God's good word. But my last reflection then comes from the last few verses. You see, our passage, our word from God today tells us to hold fast, not to harden our hearts, but to strive to make every effort to enter God's rest. And that can be daunting. We know our own failures. It can be hard. We know how much we struggle against it. And so I want to finish with a word of encouragement. From verse 14, Jesus knows. He knows what we're going through and he invites us to come with confidence to seek mercy. Therefore, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we depend on God for this, for his grace, on his mercy, on his kindness. We trust him that he will see us through to the end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us still today and that you speak with a word that is powerful and cutting and penetrating. Father, submit us to your word that we would humbly accept that you are good and that your word is good. Father, for each one of us, may our hearts be soft and humble to hear and to accept. Make us able to care for one another, to encourage, to strengthen, to bring back from destruction those who are drifting. And Father, we ask that you would keep far from each one of us 
that hardened heart that rebels against your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.